From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. My guest is Eric Elness. Eric is a pastor, speaker, and media host. He's the author of The Phoenix Affirmations, A New Vision for the Future of Christianity, and Asphalt Jesus, Finding a New Christian Faith on the Highways of America, which inspired a feature-length film called The Asphalt Gospel. Eric has an interactive weekly webcast called Darkwood Brew, and he lives with his wife and daughters in Omaha, Nebraska, where he also serves as senior pastor of Countryside Community Church in the United Church of Christ. I delivered the Trenton Times to Eric when we were at Princeton Theological Seminary together. He's in the studio to discuss his latest book, Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. Welcome, Eric, to Religion for Life. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, tell me what you're doing in Portland uh, this week. Sure. It's part of a national book tour uh, I'm on to promote uh, the, my uh, latest book and my best book <laughs> so far. I think uh, called Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. And so Portland is – I've been uh, down to L.A. and to San Francisco, Portland, and go to Portland, Maine also. On this the tour. other Portland. <laughs> yeah, All right. Yeah. And Seattle and such and back to Omaha where I've been the last seven years. All right, great. Well, I'm glad to have you here today to talk about uh, Gifts of the Dark Woods, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. On the back, uh, it says it's a guidebook for spirituality in a post-Christian world. Mm. What, what is post-Christian? Yeah. Well, I think that we live in a world where, the, in a sense, the tectonic plates have been shifting out uh-huh. under us uh, for some time now. Um, you really have to go, probably go back to the Renaissance before you see uh, just the same kind of magnitude of the, you know, the shifts of cultural understanding, scientific awareness, all those things shifting. And it's kind of like we're in a, a forest where the tall trees that you normally have, have marked your way are, are like fallen <laughs> and uh-huh. down and, and, and in various states of decay and so forth. And people are asking, you know, where do we find meaning? How do we adjudicate that these days um, where the common sources we're used to looking for don't look the same or, or aren't there to begin with? So life is really kind of like walking in a dark wood uh, and looking for those markers. How do we find our path? How do we find our path when we don't necessarily trust um, um, the sources that um, that we've been used to turning to because for some reason they've let us down or they've proven themselves to be fictitious or what have you. You know, where do we find real meaning um, in this life? And so the book really takes the, the depths of the, uh, the primarily the Jewish and Christian tradition but also looks uh, elsewhere, but looks you know really looks at the, particularly the depths of the ancient Christian mystical tradition that um, saw the dark wood actually as a place, you know, the, this place where we go where we feel a bit lost, we feel a bit um, uncertain about the future or the present and where to turn for meaning and so forth. They actually uh, took the position um, and in contrast to Dante, um, who who said basically if you find yourself in the dark wood get out as soon as you can <laughs> it will mm-hmm. lead you to the gates of hell if you stand, stay there long enough the dark the uh, dark wood was known to the mystics as being a place of revelation a place where you discover okay. who you are uh, who you're go- you know you discover God there you discover your your path in life or part the, the next portion of that. Uh, so the dark wood, the, these gifts that life gives us, like that I, I write about, like failure, emptiness, lostness, uncertainty, temptation. You know, we're not normally used to thinking about those as gifts, mm-hmm. um, but actually, it's I think it's part of life's generosity. That you know, if 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 you feel like, well, how could failure be a gift? Or you know, I don't I don't know if I like that. Well, consider how much failure has been a part of your path and, and emptiness, lostness, those kind of things. It's actually, according to the mystics, you don't have to be a, a great uh, saint or spiritual master to find your path. You don't even have to be above average. Um, all you really need to be is struggling 
<laughs> and, and recognize it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in the struggle actually that you are, you are gifted. Um, yeah, yeah. So the dark wood. Um, I was thinking just kind of a biblical metaphor. It's perhaps Jesus being led into the wilderness. Is, would, would you call that a dark wood, or even definitely, or even the wandering of the Israelites, or Elijah, you know, in his forty days. And, Absolutely. I mean, I think the dark wood actually, to me, serves as a great metaphor for what Jesus was actually talking about when he referred to the kingdom of God. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that, you know, we live in a world, it's not all about like bad things happening to us and, and right. serving as sources of revelation. All that does happen. But it's also just simply about, like Paul says, we, li- we, we look through a mirror darkly. I mean, we all have imperfect knowledge. The way forward is not easily marked, you know, and and we struggle that way. And Jesus, I think, really... Um, uh, is the ultimate dark wood wanderer, at least in my <laughs> in my vocabulary, my my um, understanding, in the sense that he, yeah, he showed us. Um, actually, I think the very first words out of it. I mean, the the primary public teaching that he had um, was all about this dark wood wandering. But we typically don't hear it though, because what we hear is him saying, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew and and Mark, where the very first words of out of his mouth are almost identical. A public teaching. It's uh, we hear it, the, him say. Um, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you're looking at, is is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Mm-hmm. And when we hear that, it's like, oh, my gosh, what is he saying? Like, okay, God's coming. Look yeah. busy. Yeah, here's uh, a yeah. fundamentalist preacher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You, about yeah, beat yourself up. Um, flagellate yourself. Get right with God. Otherwise, there will be hell to pay and quite literally hell to pay, where that couldn't be further from the truth of what Jesus was saying. I mean, if you look at the Greek, the, um, you do discover that while that translation that we commonly hear is allowable, it's not the probable one. Um, and and the, 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 the most accurate way of translating that very word is this. Um, heaven is now. It's already happened. Mm-hmm. Where kingdom is now. Literally, the verb is a present active, uh, 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 a present active indicative verb in Greek, which means a past action which has ongoing significance in the present. So when he says heaven okay. is what, it's actually now. It's already arrived. It has ongoing significance in the presence. Now, metanoia, which means uh, literally not simply repent, but metanoia literally means a complete change of thought. So mm-hmm. heaven is now. You're already living your eternal life, basically. Mm-hmm. Change your whole way of thinking and believe the good news. And you just hear Jesus' first century audience saying, oh, what, are you smoking crack, Jesus? I mean, the Romans are on <laughs> our back. Um, uh, there's poverty. There's death. There's persecution. There's hunger. There's thirst. How can you possibly say that heaven is now, that we're already in this heaven thing? And, and bear in mind, he's not, he's not denouncing that heaven's also a later reality, but he's saying it's actually your experience of this eternal life is now. Um, and it's kind of interesting that in the next, the very next words out of his mouth in the Gospel of Matthew are that from the Sermon on the Mount, and it start, which starts with those famous beatitude statements, those blessed be statements. And it's like Jesus is checking off a checklist, like every objection they could have for why heaven cannot possibly be now. He's actually naming. He says, you know, you're poor, you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. You say you you just lost your father or your your wife or your loved one, you're blessed. You just you know you say there's hunger, famine, you're blessed. You're, you're persecuted, you're blessed. On down the list goes to forcing us then to actually, if we're going to take Jesus's word seriously, we actually have to change our whole way of thinking about what heaven even is. We have to define heaven not as simply the absence of struggle, but something that you find in the heart of struggle. You know, I was reading your book and I was thinking of uh, Matthew Fox uh, mm-hmm. and his four uh, creation spirituality paths. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the via negativa, yes. uh, the way of letting go and letting be. And I was thinking that yes. that's very similar here. It yes. isn't that it's equating bad things with God, right. but it's a way in which we are 
kind of stripped away so we can see what the, is uh, really important to yes. receive a revelation in some sort or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you point out a very important point. This isn't uh, – my book certainly is not suggesting that God brings all these bad experiences mm-hmm. you know, on you. I don't even try to offer an explanation. You're a fool to offer an explanation for why bad things happen to good people. There's all kinds of really horrible explanations for right. that. I think you covered that in a recent sermon, in fact, <laughs> at your church. Yes. Uh, but um, no, but, uh, but it does – in fact, I think in, in your sermon you referred to you know, uh, bad things happen as part of time and chance. You know, I think that's a really good observation that you know, we can't explain why or what the source is, but they come. And it's the how we handle them um, that makes the, the, the difference and that it is the God-bearing thing. You, can all, you may not be able to find God in what, what came your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can find God in what comes after that. <laughs> after yeah. that, so you can find, um, you know, even like you know, back to Jesus being the ultimate dark wood wanderer. You find, you know, to me, the cross is, a, you know, this kind of fierce, um, the sign of fierce blessing. You know, in, in a way, I mean, I mean, it's a. Some people take the cross as you know the sign that God somehow had to kill Jesus in order to like us. I don't accept no. that at all. Um, but what I do see in the cross is a place where. Um, Jesus shows us you can go clear back into the darkest part of the dark wood, even to the place where they take away your life, even the place where not even Jesus could find God. I mean, literally, from the cross, you know, crying out, Eloi, Eloi, lamach sabachthani, my God, my God, mm-hmm. why have you forsaken me? Not even Jesus could find God on the cross. And so you don't go get more darker right. than that. You don't get more absent, uh, right. God's absence than that. And yet, uh, the the, the reason why there even is a cross is because we discovered that was what we thought was the end of a story was actually a beginning, and that that even in the deepest human pain, God is able to act redemptively to to transform that into something new. Yeah, Marcus Borg was uh, talks about it as a um, dying to an old way of being and and being raised to a new way of being. Absolutely. There, there's it, there's the dark wood. So the, the things that happen to us in life, we want to judge them, you know, as bad, or I want to get out of it or get through it as fast as I can. And what you're inviting us to do with the spiritual practices of entering the dark wood is to kind of be present with them and see uh, what what can come out of it. Absolutely. And and to really let go of that myth that, that re- so much religion and secular society tries to to promote, and we always fall into it, which is like you can find this way of being in the world or a way of believing in the world, a way of acting in the world that would ensure that the world will never hurt you again. Like mm-hmm. you, you like failure, emptiness, lostness, these will all be in your past, not in your present or future. And that's just completely wrong. We keep falling into that, that belief for some reason and getting wildly disappointed with life, with God, with ourselves, with other people because of it. But if you, if you actually accept the fact that in this realm, while bad things may not – you know, may or may not be triggered by God putting them in our path. Uh, um, they happen, and they're going to happen no matter what. There is no place that you can arrive at at life where you are not going to be challenged by failure, by uncertainty, by getting lost now at time and tempted and all these things. And so then you ask, okay, well, if this is just part of the equation, if this is part of what God even intended for this, the, this place, uh, at least my life in it, then I'm going to embrace these things. I'm not going to welcome them and say, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the next time I fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're not going to be yeah. so ready to say, go from, well, I have failed to, I am a failure. 
Right, right. These are experiences of life. Um, it rains on the just and the unjust, and sometimes it's sunny, sunny and sometimes it's rainy, and, and it's life. And how do we how do we live it most fully? Absolutely. You know, you have your uh, seven um, seven blessings: yes. um, uncertainty, emptiness, thunderstruck, getting lost, temptation, disappearing, misfits. How did you find these seven? <laughs> A lot of deep personal research. <laughs> Experience. You are. You talk about your own story yeah, through this, don't you? Absolutely. So, yeah, the book's not all about me, but I, I do make sure that people uh, – it's clear that I'm not just writing in an abstract way, that I'm mm-hmm. writing from a, a, a deep a personal experience with these things. And actually, the book really rose from then, you know, when I finally kind of caught on you know, to I – mean, started – Looking into writing this in this direction, I, I made a, actually made a list of. Uh, I, you know, I remember you know, there's this, this time in my life and I kind of write about. I was this low point trying to get into this book, and 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 I made a list of what are the my, the, um, the the achievements that I'm proudest of. You know, I wasn't sure if I'd have a, any list actually, but I actually found some things on mm-hmm, that list sure. that I really was where I really felt like I was I was following. Uh, you know, perhaps even might even say God's guidance and 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 wonderful things happen but i i was shocked when i saw that total list it was like everything on that list almost without exception was directly or indirectly related to some experience of failure mm. of of being you know finding myself completely dry and empty or lost and and it challenged me to then see things or or, or respond to something in a certain way that then did open up an avenue for that next thing and and I realized, oh my God, you know, yeah, we really have been sold a bill of goods when we try to, you know, pursue this life that's going to be devoid of these things because these very th- these are the things that actually lead to the best stuff. <laughs> right, right. Eric Elmas, uh, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is my guest. He's the author of Gifts of the Dark Wood: Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. Um, you talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I was wondering, many people today, I can imagine, they think, well, I don't know if I really believe in mm-hmm. that or, 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 or what is that or I'm yeah. not sure if I'm really spiritual or not. Uh-huh. What, what do you, can you talk a little bit about sure. that experience or I, what, what that means? I totally relate to that experience, <laughs> actually. Um, you uh-huh. may be interested to know that actually the first version of the book was written completely without any theological language at all. Really? I was, I was very much wanting to reach out to people for whom words like Holy Spirit, even God, freak them out. And uh-huh. and, and, and I was worried that if I use the word God, that the image of God that, that appears in somebody's mind versus what I actually mean by that would be so radically different, likely, that it would cause you know confusion. But what I when I um, I ultimately decided to reinvest it with that language because uh, after writing it without that language, it actually gave me a depth of precision to be able to write to people who uh, for whom those words might be a bit foreign, but then to put them back into the the experiences back and use those words, it actually has helped connect people in in strange ways you wouldn't predict. Like I've had mm. people say, you know, to hear you use the word God or Holy Spirit the way you're using it, it it just shows me that that I was right and my church was wrong. <laughs> Growing up, you know, people who have basically rejected Christianity or, or, you know, their their path um, hear the faith reflected in ways that that actually is innate to them that they actually related to. um, And for whatever reason, they thought they had to leave the Christian path in order to, you know, to to continue to develop that, discover, wait a minute, you're saying this is part of the heart and soul of the Christian path. Yeah, and so I do use the, those those terms, uh, but you're going to find in the book um, that that they are not used the way you may expect. Um, yeah, and I was thinking, like you know, uh, 
Paul Tillich, mm-hmm. who, who worked through this work of a 20th century theologian of uh, trying to correlate uh, experience of life with theological language. And he, and he, and he addressed that, too, that um, we think God might be just too hard of a term, but the depth of being or mm-hmm. something like that. And and I, I don't know if that's where you were going, but I, I saw some of that in, in, in your conversation in your book, that, that that's kind of what the, the depth of being is perhaps the voice of spirit or yeah. something like that. Yeah, definitely. You can't get, I don't think you really discern what you call the voice of God. Of course, any of these terms yeah. are so, um, you know, there are human beings trying to talk about things that transcend our humanity. So I, I, I always compare talk of theology to dog speak, like, like we're dogs trying to describe a relationship with our master. It's like, you know, if my dog were to describe my dog's relationship with me, if he could talk, you know, he would be telling you things and I'd be saying, well, yes, but yes, but there's a lot more to that. Oh, well, yes, that's true to his experience, but there's so much more. I'm sure God would be saying that if God was sitting here to listen to us and be like, well, yeah, 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 but, 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 and, 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 you know, my dog's experience of God, of me is, is absolutely real, but my dog's interpretation of what that means might be way off. Same thing with us. Our experience of God may be absolutely real, but our way that we understand that is different. So the language we use, even to use words like Holy Spirit or, or God or, or de- you know, depth of being or whatever, it's like dog speaks. We're all yeah. just trying to, to do that. Um, but the Holy Spirit, I think, I mean, it also implies that this depth of being um, is also about a depth of relationship. That at the ground of God's very existence, there is a relationship. That God is a relational um, force in the universe. And I have no idea what I'm saying when I talk about God as a relational force in terms of, like, how that works. Like, I don't know how in a universe that's, what, 14 billion light years, you know, across, how um, anything that created this place could have any kind of awareness um, of us. And yet when I when I take off the filters that tell me this can't happen, you know, that, that my own upbringing, you know, leads me to say, like, this cannot happen. This is mm-hmm. completely impossible. When I take off that filter that needs to filter out anything that, that contradicts that point of view and actually just look at life and experience life on its rawest level, I keep finding these strong hints and allegations like there is this awareness, and so loving awareness. Yeah. Is this spirituality... Um Kind of an uh, an opening up again. Um, I'm using. Hmm. I don't know if that's the right language, but I think if this spirituality is my ego and my stuff and and what I got to do today and tomorrow and everything keeps me from living life. Mm-hmm. That that there's a need to actually be kind of broken open. Yes. That that's what I'm getting with the dark wood. Definitely. Yeah. That's actually one of the greatest. I mean, you're very good to pick up on that. I think. Um, I think that when 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 especially things that we label as bad things happen. Uh-huh. It kind of shakes us up. And it what it always does is it provokes this deep uncertainty about, you know, like we're all telling each other, sto- ourselves, stories about who we are, how life is supposed to work in our opinion, how who God is or isn't, how mm-hmm. God is supposed to work and not work. All these stories we kind of subconsciously tell ourselves that gives us our identity. Um, and, and we've been telling these stories to ourselves so, for so long we're not even aware of the fact that we tell them. We just respond out of that storied outlook but when something happens that that um, says like wait a minute if this story is true this could not be happening it causes us to actually look back at the stories we've been telling ourselves and and question them 
And and when we question them, we oftentimes, at least if you're me, <laughs> you discover, oh, you know, there's some things about that story I've been telling myself that have been a little bit wishful thinking or like way off base here. I need to break this story open and and create a larger narrative in which this experience can fit within which really what it does is it creates a larger story, um, a story that's much more free to operate within, a story that's closely related to God's story, I think. Yeah, Eric Elness, uh, my guest on Religion for Life, author of Gifts of the Dark Wood, Seven Blessings for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. Uh, earlier, I have another book by you, The Phoenix Affirmations, mm-hmm. and you include uh, uh, in the appendix that. And, and the first one uh, that you write, I want to talk about what that is, but you say walking fully in the path of Jesus without denying the legitimacy of other paths. And so really the spirituality isn't about one particular religion. Right, yes. Those Phoenix Affirmations were written by a bunch of uh, clergy and lay people and biblical scholars back in 2005 who were trying to ask, like, you know, what is it, you know, um, about this faith that, that actually makes us happy? There's so much about, like, you know, this bad news Christianity out there mm-hmm. and, and ways that Christianity is, is portrayed as being hateful and narrow-minded and stuff like that. This is not true to our experience. So what is true to our experience? And uh, so we came up with those affirmations, not to meant to be a new creed, like defining who's Christian, who's not. But simply say, here's some folks. You know, we we this is what gives us joy. Anybody out there, you know, get joy the same way. And the very first affirmation that we put, we knew would be the most controversial one, as well. But we thought it was really important to signal to the world if these affirmations grew, which they did, um, that we're not trying to claim that Christianity is the only game on the planet, but it is the game that we're playing. You know, it it is uh, Jesus. Uh, you know, is the path that we're claiming fully. But we 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 would certainly never be one to put um, some sort of uh, 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 box around God to say, now, God, you are only allowed to operate in the, in the ways that we know you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the God is actually a greater mystery to us um, than any of us can imagine. Um, and, that, and so we wanted to make sure that it was clear that we were simply, these were statements about who we are and our relationship with Jesus <laughs> here, but we're not trying to make claims for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, today uh, many people will say, well, yeah, Jesus, I mean, he still has good public relations, <laughs> but Christianity doesn't so much. True. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then there's a sense in which uh, we're talking about whatever our tradition is going back to the, back to the root of it itself. Yeah. I mean, you know, kindness and love and justice. Yeah. It's kind of unfair, though, because I think if people took Jesus seriously, he'd have just as bad public relations, but just for different reasons, you know? <laughs> That's true, too. <laughs> I mean, if you're really going to take to heart this idea that, okay, hey, folks, you know, heaven is now, you're already experiencing your eternal life right now. I mean, so if you believe in an afterlife, great. I mean, I think Jesus believes strongly in afterlife. But if, if that's true, then you and you're living now and you're going to live after this life, you're already on that track. So treat this place as this precious you know, place and treat these experiences. And yes, if bad things are going to happen, you know, come come your way. Uh, bear in mind that this is part of your lived experience of the holy right now. So find the holy, you know, wherever it can be found. Yeah. Now, you are a minister in Omaha. What, what's what's the name of your congregation there? Countryside Community Church. We're a congregation of the United Church of Christ. Okay. And you are on an exciting uh, project of working with some other faith traditions. Yes, that's right. Kind of related to that affirmation you read. Um, yeah, we just uh, actually, as a congregation, voted this last April to accept an invitation to become the Christian partner in something known as Omaha's uh, Tri-Faith Initiative. And that's where a... In 
Islamic mosque, a, a Jewish synagogue, and a Christian church are uh, all deliberately, mm-hmm. uh, intentionally co-locating, building their own facilities on a 35-acre campus and a common center in the center of that um, to learn what it's like to live in close community, go, go beyond interfaith dialogue. To you know, to really regular uh, face-to-face you know contact and uh, and life sharing. Well, that's exciting. So this is moving from buildings that you have into yep. this new. Yeah, we are actually literally selling a building that we've had a glorious relationship in for 65 years. It's a fantastic building with very little deferred maintenance or anything. The Mm -hmm. only reason we're doing this and raising $25 million to do it uh, is to to be able to have the privilege of of existing in in close community with these other two uh, faiths and learning what that's like. Well, how important is that, I mean, today when we're finding that religion is is getting to be so divisive on all kinds of levels to do this intentional community building? It's absolutely crucial, I think. And by the way, you can find out more about the Trifaith at trifaith.org. That's the website for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, we now that we've democratized the instruments of mass destruction, and mm. every day we get wow. more artful at, at the art of killing each other. Um, gosh, you know, I just woke uh, just this morning. I was having coffee and heard about the uh, there was a shooting. Of, uh, at least ten or fifteen people died just in Roseburg, Oregon. Yeah, it just happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is being recorded. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Um, you know, we have. Um, if we don't figure out a way to actually take Jesus's words to love your enemy seriously and actually integrate them in our lives, I mean, I I don't know that I'd give the world another hundred years before we actually screw it up in such ways that it may take centuries or probably more like millennia to re- re- recover from. And so, you know, that either the path of violence, you know, failure to reconcile with our neighbor, or failure to reconcile with the earth—that's the other way we can off ourselves pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. Um, that really, I think, the two great calls of our time are uh, reconciliation with the neighbor and reconciliation with the earth as part of the way we respond to our reconciliation with God. And uh, Eric Elness, my guest, uh, author of uh, *Gifts of the Dark Wood*, uh, you uh, went on a cross-country. Tour. Uh, what <laughs> tour. was it about about nine nine years ago? Cross country walk. Yes. Uh, actually, kind of raise awareness about these things you're just Absolutely. talking about now. But tell us a little bit what happened. Sure. Well, I mean, that whole walk really. Um, the, the short story of how that started was when I had a, a high school uh, a choir director who was in my congregation come up to me and say, "You know, Eric, I am so sick and tired of being a Christian butt." I'm like what do you mean by that? You know, I was thinking like B-U-T-T. She goes, no, 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 you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love my church. I love my uh, my faith and stuff. I just, it's a part of my natural part of my life. When I go out to a party, therefore I, I talk about, oh, what we did in church last week or whatever. But when it, oh, I find when it comes out, you know, when I give the C word, meaning Christian, I may as well have a sign over above my head that says radioactive. Yeah. And I keep having to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't, throw everybody into hell who doesn't believe the way I do. I'm a Christian, but I love gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgender people. I'm a Christian, but, 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 but. And she said, I just wish I could live in a world where, you know, if it comes out I'm Christian, somebody might get an image of their mind, and whether they like that image or not, at least I would love to have it at least vaguely correspond to who I am. The image that's in their head corresponds somewhat to who I am. And um, and that's really kind of what generated this walk, where a whole bunch of us who are on the more um, liberal progressive end of Christianity were saying, you know, we are so good about telling people what we're not, hmm. you know, um, but we're so bad about telling people about what we are, you know. And and so let's 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 actually ask that question seriously. And so we spent um, six months and uh, twenty seven major and minor revisions to this document that became known as the Phoenix Affirmations. And once we hit version 3.8, it just like sang to people across denominational boundaries. Um, and if you want to 
read the Phoenix Affirmations. They're in the back of my book, or you can just uh, uh, go to Wikipedia. They, they're listed there too. Um, but um, they're really um, about the love of God, neighbor, and, and self, the three great loves that Jesus um, recognized when he said, you know, the most important commandment is love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. There's the three great loves, God, neighbor, self. Mm-hmm. Self oftentimes drops out. But you know what we were trying to basically say is you don't get the true Jesus faith if you say that two out of three of those aren't ain't bad. So yeah. like I'll love God and myself, but not my neighbor, or I'll love God and my neighbor, not myself, mm-hmm. or my neighbor and me, but not God. You know, so they all have to work in harmony with each other. Um, and so what would what would theology, what would belief look like if all those three had to work in harmony with each other? Right. Well, we're just almost out of time. Um, Eric, I, I want to talk one more thing about your book, Gifts of the Dark Woods, mm-hmm. Seven Blessings uh, for Soulful Skeptics and Other Wanderers. Uh, wh- what do you hope that people will gain from your book? Uh, well, one thing, uh, confidence that they are not utter failures when failure uh, crosses their path, that they're not um, completely empty of spirit when they feel empty, and they're, and they're not hopelessly lost when they feel lost, that actually these are part a natural part of life, and they are um, the basis. When you feel furthest from God, that's actually when likely you are closest to God. And therefore, mm-hmm. if you'll keep your eyes open and attentive, uh, more so perhaps than you're used to being, uh, you discover uh, those t- those times of darkness that there's something moving in the dark. Uh, that, that that for whom darkness is not dark, but as light as day, as they say in Psalm 139. All right. Eric, thank you. Eric Elmas uh, on Religion for Life. I appreciate you being with me today. I appreciate your book and, and all, all the good work you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Religionforlife.com is the place to go to download podcasts. Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. I'm John Shuck. You are.